The old lady put her bloody saw down so she could rest. She lit a cigarette and asked which podcast I like best. Well, my favorite podcast is Sometimes Dead is Better. Dead is Better. Sometimes Dead is Better. Alright, hello and welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better, and it's me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And we are doing our part two of our Doctor Sleep episode. Yes. I'm very excited about this one. Okay. And there was so much in this movie that, like, I mean, what do you... Do you do gypsy murders? Do you do telepathic kids? Yeah, again, it's a mess. Like, there's a lot in here. <laughs> what I had said in the first episode, in part one, is that... One of the parts that I really enjoyed was the doctor sleep part. Right. Where he was the orderly and he was helping these people end their lives with his little ghost cat friend. As real, yes. Yes. I mean, the cat's not a ghost. It's a real cat. I know, but it seemed like a little ghost cat. <laughs> like it's a little spirit, right? Maybe it is a ghost. I don't know. Something's going on with that cat. My cats sure as hell can't tell when someone's dying. They're so dumb. But they're so dumb. I figure if I was dying and my cat was in bed with me, it would, I would just wake up and be no longer like on my ears or, it would, yeah. it would, or, or be eating me. Like Oh, yeah. It my would not be waiting. would not care. Yeah. Well, so again, what was Azrael's name? What did it mean in Hebrew? In Hebrew, it means uh, angel of death. Oh. I did not know that before I chose this true crime. Yeah. Well, so what I thought <clears throat> about was like, you and McGregor hanging around and like so many people dying on his shifts i thought that's a little that could become across as a little sketchy yeah so it made me think of this guy named donald harvey whose name was angel of death really yes you know now think about it you know that's kind of like a misery didn't they call her like in the old newspaper clippings like the angel of death is that what they called her i think it was angel of death is a term that they use for like doctors or nurses who kill their patients, but this or one, just have like bad success rates or something. Yeah, okay. or like yeah, they like give them the kiss of death. Or, yeah. but in this one in particular, they said that this was one of the like the main monikers they used for this particular guy. But there's been so many. There was another one I thought about doing. I read a book about a while ago. Um, he was a doctor. His name was Michael Swango. He was also a doctor who murdered a lot of people, poisoned a lot of people, had that same sort of whatever that complex is. There's a nurses uh, have killed multiple, multiple people in the hospital. I mean, it's really scary. It's not the exact same thing, but I highly recommend the book Five Days at Memorial, which is about five days at Memorial Hospital during Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. And they got to the point where they thought there was no getting out and they started to euthanize the patients it's riveting wow this is a this is a non-fiction i've this never is, heard of this oh i mean I've, I've never heard that story like they were no? actually killing their patients yes they even euthanized the dogs like it oh. was like so tragic like it well, you couldn't have written this in a movie it's tough but it's a great read it's a big book and you will be surprised how quickly you burn through it because it's so good Okay, so now that we're at Book Corner, is that where we are? Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about another book that I just finished. Okay. By Dan Simmons, 
my brother-in-law got it for me for Christmas, and it's called Summer of Night, and it's very much in the same vein as Stephen King, and actually Stephen King has a quote on the front of the book, like, recommending it, which is really cool. A blurb, as they call it. Oh, yes. And, in the industry. And it's about a group of young boys in, I think, 1960, and an evil entity comes into their town, and they are the only ones who see it, and they have to fight it. So very much like it. Yeah. Well, Dan Simmons, you know, he's been around a while. He's a very good writer. So yes. I imagine he's probably, obviously he'd be very aware of it, but I'm, he, is, are you finished with it? Yes, I finished it. I mean, it's, okay. And it's good. And it's, especially if you His like. books are all very big, aren't they? Yes. Um, but And my <laughs> brother-in-law also recommended Carrie and Comfort, which is another one of his books, which I think I'm going to read that one. Next, my brother-in-law also said there's a sequel to this one called Winter of Night or something like that, but he said it's not quite as good. Hmm. Well, if since we're in book corner, okay, uh, in our true crime episode, <laughs> uh, I'm trying again to read to read Dune. Okay, I feel like I've taught you this before. Um, it's a struggle. I'm about 100 pages in. It's good. Yeah, but it's like it's very dense uh-huh. and there's a lot of sci-fi terms and there's like an index at the back they have to keep flipping to <laughs> oh to figure out who's who. Um, but I'm going to power through it because the movie comes out in summer or okay. maybe winter and it has Rebecca Ferguson awesome Timothy Chalamet awesome Oscar Isaac awesome I'm going to watch that fucking movie and I'm going to know what's happening so okay. I'm going to read the book man Oscar Isaac how good did he look at the Oscars oh I don't think I oh yeah you're right yeah I did see that he's he, wonderful he had a big beard he came out with Salma Hayek anyway uh, since we're on our uh, Timothy Chalamet corner <laughs> did you see Little Women I haven't yet okay. I'm very excited though um, but it was funny, like, I can already tell Elise her type, you know? Oh, it was going to be Timothy Chalamet? Yes, because Thank she you. also, I told you, she liked Noah Wiley. Kind of like. She likes twinks. A- <laughs> 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 and whenever we were watching the Oscars, because I watched the Oscars that night and then I rewatched it with her because she wanted to watch them too. And she was like, who's that guy? What? <laughs> who? who- um, but I love him anyway. I mean, you know, call me by your name, all that. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's fantastic. But I don't really, you know, he's, that's not really my type. But right. you, know, you go, Elise. <laughs> I did like how he's wearing, like, what appeared to be, like, what was he what? wearing? It looks like a tracksuit. <laughs> yeah. But back to our true crime. Oh, right. So we're doing a true crime, <laughs> yeah. which is the point of this episode. Right. Um, so I'm going to tell you about Donald Harvey. In 1987, orderly and nurse's aide Donald Harvey admitted to killing... 37 patients. He was an angel of death who was putting terminally ill people out of their misery, is what he alleges. All right, so Harvey was born in 1952 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Shortly after he was born, his family moved to Boonville, Kentucky, one of the poorest counties in all the country. Though so clear they didn't have a lot of money, I think they struggled having a farm. Harvey was sexually abused as a kid. From ages 4 to 20. Wow. By an uncle and a neighbor. So he just never had a chance to get out of that that spiral of abuse. But his teachers remembered him as being a sweet kid. Like He seemed to be a really good kid in school. He seemed to... Because a lot of kids who are going through abuse, they're acting out in certain ways. Or they're already... They're starting to commit crimes very young. But he didn't seem to have that. Uh, he liked being around adults at school more than the kids. He was a little bit of a loner, but there wasn't a lot of signs or what was going on with him at the time. Yeah. He dropped out of school in ninth grade and got his GED. 
when he was a teenager, about 18 or so, his mom asked him to go to Kentucky and see his grandfather at the Marymount Hospital. So he went down to London, Kentucky, saw his grandfather who was dying, and being around his grandfather and the hospital really started his, his obsession with death and dying. So he was at the hospital so much that eventually the nuns who worked there offered him a job as an orderly. And as an orderly, he could administer meds and take care of patients. And I guess at this time, he really began to feel the power he had over these people. And again, a lot of them are older, terminally ill. He's taking care of all their needs. So two weeks after working at the hospital, he killed his first patient. Hmm. You didn't wait very long. No. How did he kill him? Well, in 1970, (laughs) (laughs) he smothered an 88-year-old stroke victim named Logan Evans. Logan rubbed his own poop on him all over his face and angered Harvey so much that he smothered him. I think it's safe to say that if you can't handle getting poop on you without lashing yeah. out like that, you're not meant to be a nurse or an that orderly. Barnes and Noble. I mean, <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine being a, nor- a nurse or an, or-, or an orderly. I just the, the people that do that. Like when I was in the hospital having my babies. I was constantly in awe of the nurses. They worked like 12-hour shifts. I can't. I could never do that. So during that time, while he was at Marymount Hospital, he went on to murder 13 more patients. At that hospital? Yes. And how, and how long of a time? I think this is about 10 years. Would... He would hook up empty oxygen tanks. When he would get, go to replace them, he put an empty one. He would put... This is, freaks me out. He would put air bubbles in the veins. Yeah. That freaks me out. Like again, I'm I'm watching a lot of ER. I'm on season seven now, just Drink. in case. In case anyone, okay, let me take my last little shot of my Jack here, and they say things about like you gotta be careful, can't get an air in that vein, and that just freaks me out because it just goes into your body and then it kills you. I wonder why. I don't know. Also, apparently, you're not supposed to blow air into a vagina. <laughs> Was that on ER? That was not on ER, but I think I read it like in a Cosmo. Like there were like, there's certain things that you do that's supposed to be good. And then one thing is don't blow air into the vagina. So <laughs> Chris, don't take remember a that, tube okay? of- <laughs> um, He would smother them with pillows or with wet rags. He would unhook respirators. And people he worked with did notice this over the years. They teased him and said that he had the kiss of death. You know, he they noticed that a lot of people were dying on his watch. There was one patient, he killed 81-year-old Ben Gilbert. This is a bit graphic, so he... So usually it's just like the, he's saying he's putting them out of his misery, right? He's turning off things and they're probably going to sleep peacefully. Yeah. But with this guy, he put a catheter that was too big first... Then into the catheter, he put a coat hanger up into him until he punctured his bladder. Jesus Christ. Yes. And that was an agonizing death, you know, because he just, he he started leaking and then he got sepsis and got an infection and it was an awful way to die. How is, that's not putting someone out of their misery, clearly. But his patients were, patients were usually old and in poor health already, so it kind of went unnoticed. He also poisoned them. 
He used arsenic, cyanide, rat poison in their food, in their drinks. He would put it like in their juice and then pour that into their gastric tube. So that would just run. He didn't even have a chance. They couldn't even. I mean, it does sound like they're like weird pranks on this. Like, what if I did this? You know? Yeah. And he's like figuring out different ways to yeah. kill them. What could I do tomorrow? I mean, it's it's insane. So a quote from him says that most of the doctors would be so overworked, so busy that a patient could die and the family doctor would not come in and pronounce the person dead and have a resident do that. They just pronounce him dead and send him straight to the funeral home. Which, I mean, it's hard being a doctor. If you watch ER, they're all in debt. <laughs> Drink. <laughs> they're all working so many hours. I am fascinated by the econ- economics of ER. Like, because you always think doctors, you know, they make a lot of money. But I, re- I read a lot about residents after watching you know, season one. Yeah. And, and yeah, you don't, you know, the whole point is that you're still learning. And then you it's work like, like 16 hours a day and yeah. you're on call all the time, yeah. apparently. I think they say in season one, they were making like maybe thirty thousand a year. Yeah. So I did the you know, nights and I afford right. now, and that's like you know maybe fifty or sixty. But but still, it's not not what you would think for a right. That was like the first show I think that kind of showed doctors yeah. what they are, especially working at a county hospital in a big city, I yeah. guess. But so at this time, Harvey started to date an undertaker named Vernon Midden. So he's gay. Again, what? this is <laughs> this is in. The 1970s. I feel like uh, us gays get a bad rap for being serial killers, but I guess... I wonder what the percentage is. Straight guys have the exact same misdire- misdirected rage at yeah. things. I mean, there's way more straight guys serial killers, yes. so we got... I or, guess I mean, or, I mean, even way, way more straight abusers yeah. who are putting all... Whatever their pain and their suffering is, they put it to someone else. I think... I'm sorry, Chris, but it's a male thing. True. We'll say one out of ten serial killers are gay. (laughs) (laughs) We're still a minority. It's okay. But so he started dating an undertaker named Vernon Midden, who introduced Harvey to the occult. Ooh, which actually, to me, without all the other stuff, sounds pretty cool. (laughs) Like, you get to date an undertaker who also gets you into the occult. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Oh, that is cool. Except that Midden was... I'm imagining, like, David from uh, Six Feet Under. Right. Yes, with a little bit of dark side. Maybe he has a... He has a vampire yeah. basement or something. I did start watching that again the other night. Six Feet Under? Yeah. I've been wanting to watch that again, too. Yeah, so I watched the first episode and fell in love with all of them again. Ah, uh, I might need to do that. But Midden was married with kids. Oh, so he was closeted. Yes. Okay. And as the relationship was ending, Harvey became angered, and he had fantasies of embalming him alive. What year did you say this was? The 70s? Right now, we're in the 70s, okay. yeah. So not unusual for him to be... Completely closeted. And yeah. So also in this time, he has a on-again, off-again relationship with a guy named James Peluso, who he actually ended up poisoning to death. In 1971, he tried to commit suicide by setting the bathroom on fire in his apartment, which doesn't seem like the best way. Sounds like a terrible way to go. Yeah. But instead, he was arrested for arson. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> it's not funny, but it's just like, you did, you did it so bad. Yeah, yeah. And later he was arrested again for burglary. And when he was drunk, he admitted to killing 15 people at the Marymount Hospital, but no one believed him. He again later tried to commit suicide by NyQuil. What a fuck up. But that does sound great. I do love NyQuil. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, how much would that have to drink? I don't know. 
Seems like he didn't really want to kill himself. Um, he then enlisted in the Air Force, but was asked to leave after they discovered his arrest record. After that, he was admitted to the VA hospital and put in restraints and given electroshock therapy, which is very popular back then. Yeah. I mean, they still do electroshock therapy for severe cases. Apparently, it does help with some things. I don't think it's as violent as it used to be. So he goes on to get another job at a hospital. He starts working at the VA Hospital Medical Center in Cincinnati. And he works there from 1975 to 1985. So is the next 10 years. And there he claims to have killed at least another 15 patients. So, so far we're up to 30. Jeez. In Cincinnati, during this time, he starts a relationship with Carl Howler. He starts to think that Carl was cheating on him on the weekends. He goes out to the local parks and things. I guess what that's how people guys had to meet yeah, each other. Cruising, yeah. Yeah. So he starts to poison Carl's food every weekend so he gets sick and has to stay home and take care of him. He start he still gets more jealous and starts poisoning Carl's parents, eventually killing his father. Mm. I know. He kept poisoning his his mother for a while. And Carl until he finally ended things. And so he's all this time he's still killing patients at work. And now he's moved on to people outside more regularly. He also killed his upstairs neighbor, Helen Metzer. He poisoned her with the whip topping on a pie. Wait, he what? also like he, he poisoned oh, the he poisoned the yeah. Okay. How have I not heard this guy? I mean, this is like worse than Ted Bundy. I mean he's like He's one of the most prolific serial killers ever. Crazy. Yeah. Um, he also murdered Edgar Wilson, who lived in the same complex as him. He gave him arsenic-laced, like, Pepto-Bismol after they argued about a bill. They both died. There was a friend of his, so I think it was a friend of Carl's, who he didn't really like much, named Diana Alexander. And he put hepatitis C serum into her drink Where one did night. Where that from? The, right hospital. From the hospital. She got really sick, <clears throat> but luckily was able to recover, and they figured out what he had given her. He also tried to infect her with HIV. Oh. Isn't that awful? Crater, yeah. What's, what's kind of sad, not to be a downer, is because AIDS is not, or HIV is no longer a death sentence, uh, there's evidence that younger people, millennials, aren't quite taking it seriously. So mm. there's this weird thing of it, there's, there's an uptick in it. Not dramatically so, but you know, through the 90s and early 2000s, there's quite a downtick because people were practicing safe sex and um, it was terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and now that there's a whole generation of, I don't want to say kids, but, you know, younger people that it's just not, it doesn't have that significance. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not at all a death sentence through their entire lives. It's, you know, something that can be, you know, at least treated, um, which is, you know, fantastic. But there is a slight increase in its, uh, I don't know what do you call it, exposure rate. What's the wow, word? Wow, yeah. Um, so in 1985, the security of the hospital he was at found a loaded gun, stolen medical supplies, and occult books in his locker, and he was let go. And he just went on to start working at Daniel Drake Hospital. Here, he murdered dozens of more patients over the next several years. Um, again, he was claiming that he was putting these people out of his misery, out of their misery. He wouldn't want to live with tubes and things breathing for him. Why would they? Why would they want to make their own decisions? But John Douglas, our good friend, interviewed him and said, well, that's bullshit. Clearly, he enjoyed the power, and he there were many of them that 
weren't sick or suffering, people outside of the hospital he was killing, and people that he was putting in agonizing pain. In 1987, a motorcycle victim came into the hospital. This was John Powell, age 44, and he had been put on life support. After he died, there was an autopsy that was done, and luckily the coroner smelled almonds. Do you remember this from our Tylenol episode? Yeah, that means um, you've been poisoned? Yes. Right. I don't quite remember how that works, though. What is, uh, what's the symptom exactly? You can smell almonds? It smells like almonds, and only about half the people can actually smell. Is it your breath that smells like that? Or? I think it was like during the autopsy in oh, his stomach. Oh, oh I see. Okay. He, it, when he cut up in his stomach, it smelled like almonds. Yeah. And so that's how you know that it was arsenic poisoning. Which, again, that's just like a only half of people can smell, smell that. that. So, like, what if it had been a doctor who couldn't? But he luckily he could. And he knew what it was. And everyone pointed to Harvey, like, at first, because they were like, hey, you know, he just got let go of the VA hospital. And a lot of people die on his shifts. So I started looking into him. They had um, a lie detector test come into the hospital. But he called in sick that day. Which, and this is back in 87. Now we know that lie detector tests aren't necessarily always very accurate. You can't even use them in court, right? In some right, cases you can. Yeah, you can't use them in court. But yeah. that's not yeah, they're not that. The jury's out on that. But okay. You can't use them in court not because they're not necessarily accurate. But, but probably back then they thought that yeah. it was science. And this is probably. There's definitely still science to it, for sure. It's just Also, he was guilty. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But when they finally questioned him and asked him about if he had killed Powell, he admitted it. And at that time, they asked him if he killed anyone else. And he said, yeah, about 70 others. Jeez. So this whole, this guy's entire life, people around him were just dropping like flies all the time. And Well, again, it caused some suspicion, but more like a joke. Like, wow, a lot of people die on your shifts. But I think it was enough. I guess if you kill... 20 people over 10 years and you're in a hospital that has a lot of terminally ill patients maybe it wouldn't be that obvious yeah yeah and also these people who are dying they're not necessarily doing an autopsy on because they were already sick right but he had taken detailed notes on every murder which i mean is sick uh i hate for the people who have to go through those but at least they could find out which people had actually been murdered and try him for those and also let their loved ones know what happened. But he took detailed notes, like this is the person's name, age, and this is how I killed them. He also, he studied anatomy and and medicine over the years to figure out different ways to kill people and ways to not be detected. I mean, it's, it's pretty disturbing. So also that's another mark against him and I was just doing it to put people out of their misery. He's clearly trying not to get caught. He knows what he's doing is wrong. He tries to plead insanity, I think. I mean, this is also one of those cases which is very sad where obviously this person grew up with a lot of abuse. But it does kind of go back to our Dr. Sleep episode. How do you redirect that abuse? How do you redirect that abuse? And there's plenty of people who have gone through the same things who were able to Still, that's a fascinating question, though. Like, if had he never been abused at all, is it possible they would have done some of these same things? I know. I mean, I would Did guess not. Did he have that but... anger inside of him of not only being abused as a kid and then 
being homosexual and having to keep that a secret. Yeah, we need Holden here because, you know, like, this is very much, you know, nature versus nurture. And, you know, like. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too. We'll have to go back and maybe look at some of the other cases of the angel of death stories. Is there a pattern? So in Ohio, he pled guilty to 24 counts of murder and was given three life terms. In Kentucky, he pled guilty to nine counts of murder and was sentenced to life plus 20 years. In 2017, he was found beaten to death at age 66 while in prison. Where was he in prison? In Ohio. Um, And a 44-year-old inmate named James Elliott admitted to the murder by writing a letter to the Blade newspaper in Toledo. Um, Elliot was serving 37 years for burglary when he murdered him in prison. Wow. I'll put some of the articles that I looked at on our webpage. I think I I listened to a good podcast, too. Fellow podcast, True Crime, that started around the same time ours did. It's called Killer Cocktails. And they also make drinks that go along with their stories. And I really enjoyed that one. That's a good one. I listened to their story. They were drinking... um, What's the drink that that people drink during the Kentucky Derby? Cosmos? No. (laughs) Mint juleps. Cosmos. That's what people drink. (laughs) Was it Sex in the City? (laughs) They were drinking mint juleps because that's what people drink at the Kentucky Derby because this was in uh, Kentucky and Ohio, sort of. So they tie a drink to their true crime which is kind of similar to what we do. We tie our drink to a movie. Right. And so that's Donald Harvey, the angel of death. Luckily, uh, Ewan McGregor and Danny Tor- as Danny Torrance used his powers for good. Yeah. But he also might have got a bad rap hanging around and all these people dying on his shifts. Yeah, that and is the interesting. the cat, too. They would have put the cat in jail, too. <laughs> burn, cat, burn. <laughs> Gosh. Um, but I guess he wasn't making them die he just happened to be there no but even the residents knew that when he came that they were gonna die so You're right he, he, there was he, a rumor going he around did have a reputation mm-hmm. I mean, they all just knew it yeah so in a way he's not really being that helpful he's just like kind of scaring the shit out of all of them <laughs> <laughs> although honestly it would be kind of sweet to have because he seems like a nice cat you know yeah maybe it would be like a an actual angel right not an angel of death yes. in a bad way right so that is our true crime. Let me know if I missed anything or if there's anything else that you think was interesting. Or I will. <laughs> you're not talking to me. Or if there's a true crime that you would have tied to Dr. Sleep instead. I don't know what else you would have done. Again, if there was a murderer who wore a funny hat, please let me know. <laughs> Surely <love> so. <laughs> and again, rate and review us. Yeah, subscribe, talk to us. rate, and review. That really helped. Please do so. <laughs> But that was a good story. That was interesting. I, I, it's crazy that because that's seriously Ted Bundy level of numbers, and I always think of him as like you know the king. I know, <laughs> so but it's you also but crazy you, that I haven't heard of him. Um, yeah, I guess you also those Angel of Death people. I mean, they have the highest numbers. We'll have to talk about Michael Swango sometimes too because okay. he was crazy, and he was a doctor. He was a bad doctor, and he kept getting jobs everywhere. They'd kick him out because he was killing all these people, and then he just go to another job. They poison all of his coworkers with sweet tea, and I mean, they're so crazy. So if we do another one, maybe we'll do him sometime. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you. Good night. Bye.